0: The tasty drink I'm enjoying right now is a Sangria by Mocktails, a great tasting non-alcoholic cocktail made from real fruit juices that has hints of bitter orange, raspberry, and clove. It tastes just like a regular Sangria, but it's not overly sweet. They also have delicious traditional drinks that are alternatives to their alcohol counterparts. They have a Macarita, a Mox Cow Mule, and a mockapolitan that you can drink straight out of the bottle or use them to create other delicious mocktails with their wide-ranging recipes you can find on their website so you can have a great time anytime without booze. Hi, everyone. I'm Marco Salazar, and welcome to the For All Drinks podcast, your place for discovering delicious non-alcoholic beer, wine, spirits, mocktails, and more for leading a fun, healthy, and inclusive lifestyle. On today's episode, we'll be speaking with Bill Gamali, co-founder of Mocktails, and we'll dive deep into how they're making delicious mocktails or providing opportunities for everyone to be included in every social situation. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Bill, welcome to the For All Drinks
1: podcast. Marcos, thanks for having us, it's been our pleasure.
0: I'm really excited about this interview just because you have such a deep knowledge of this emerging non-alcoholic beverage industry as well as you've created a delicious beverage that is easy for people to consume because it's a pre-made cocktail. So I'm really excited for you to share with everybody out there how you ended up creating mocktails. So to get started, Where did the idea for Mocktails come from?
1: It came from, honestly, our own family need. It starts with my wife, Tracy, really. The funny thing is this journey started uh, when we met in college. I was having a good time and I was going to parties and doing what college kids did back then. And uh, my wife was an athlete in college. She was a division one scholarship swimmer. And she was basically on a full scholarship and she didn't want to lose her scholarship. So she decided that performance was paramount to her. And so she wasn't going to drink alcohol while she was essentially being paid to, to, to swim for the school. Our story really begins there. And it's so amazing that here we are, geez, almost 30 years later from when we first met. And this thread of drinking, non-drinking, uh, socializing, enjoying your career, your colleagues, your family, your friends, your holidays, your social experiences through throughout the arc of our entire relationship has been a theme in our lives where she's been on and off For athletics, she's been on and off for pregnancy, and I've been trying to be there to support her through her different phases of life and career as she became a lawyer in a large Boston law firm. I always say that the glass ceiling is real for the guys in the audience. They may not understand it, but but I lived it with with my wife, and she was vying to be a a partner in a large law firm, and and that revolves around big events with clients, with colleagues, with with partners, and it always had to do with the the cocktail parties and and, and the big Christmas parties and so forth. But when you're trying to get uh, pregnant and have a family while at the same time become a partner, there's always the questions. Why aren't you drinking? Is everything okay? So it's, it began very organically, Marcos, where we were finding ourselves in awkward situations very frequently and felt alone. That's really where it began. And then we reached out to some friends. We asked them in confidence. Uh, we thought we were going through all of this and felt very alone. We asked some very close friends, geez, we can't seem to solve this problem as to how to deal with these social situations. Are you feeling or seeing any of the same themes in your lives? And what came back really shocked me. And, and I, we've, I've known these people my whole life. What I didn't realize is that they were having the same struggles, but privately. We were having those struggles privately. So we, um, we learned through talking and through communicating in a private setting that Marcos, my co-founders, were already starting a beverage company to solve this problem. Oh, wow. And so as I had already started Mocktails and what we did is we decided to meet and put all our cards on the table and share all the ideas. And by the end of the weekend, we said, my goodness gracious, we should be doing this together. So we pooled our resources and the Mocktail Beverages family, the way it is today, was born by by going through this experience organically with three families coming together, discovering that three of us were non-drinkers and three of us were drinkers. And we just simply wanted to enjoy social occasions together rather than being separated.
0: I think you nailed the word that I I think about during our conversation is mocktails is really born out of being able to solve a problem that many people in the United States and the world have, which is one, having a delicious non-alcoholic beverage, but also feeling included, which it's interesting that there were multiple people coming, trying to solve the same problem. And in terms of the actual drinks, how did that emerge in terms of the type of drinks and what did that look like?
1: Yeah, great question. That's a journey. Each step along the way is a journey in and of itself. We decided to form the company together as three families uh, looking to find solutions. And and we felt like we understood the customer mission, Marcos, because three of us being drinkers and three of us being non-drinkers, this was not about simply creating a drink for the non-drinker to have on their own. (laughs) This was about creating a drink for the non-drinker to join the party with everybody else and become included and feel equal and not feel like they were at the kids table, not feel like they were drinking water while we were all clinking glasses and cheering and and saying, toasting to to the occasion. So we wanted everybody to feel like they were on equal footing. So we came at it from the point of view that we wanted to solve a problem, not just for the non-drinker, but for the drinker and the host as well. And so in thinking about that, we said we need to come up with a product that includes everyone, which means that it includes drinkers and non-drinkers. And if you're going to do that, what kind of product should we have? We should have something that both, that everyone can drink at the same time, which means that it, it has to not one be against alcohol. First of all, we're not against alcohol. Three of us are drinkers and I enjoy my cocktails, my wine and my, my, my craft beers. I also didn't want to have the non-drinkers separate themselves and me not feel included with them. So I wanted to be able to drop a little vodka or tequila or rum into my mocktail to enjoy a mocktail cocktail. And so we could all come together, Marcos, at the same time, at the same party, drink the same drinks in the same glassware at the same time.
0: Absolutely. I think you're reminding me of the reason why I really dove into the non-alcoholic beverage space is I definitely see my background being a social change background and the impact that it has on people not feeling included and really mocktails being at the center of that. So as you were building this out, how did people respond to the different types of beverages?
1: I'll tell you, the response was actually mind-blowing and we found almost no one that thought it was a, a bad idea. We had lots of people not understand it, particularly drinkers or people that own bars or restaurants or whatever, and they scratch their head and go, I, "I don't understand what the problem is because we provide these people soda and water and iced tea. What's what's the issue? We do have products for them. So we had people not understand, but no one thought it was a bad idea. We had a tremendous amount of support, and actually, we we found a, a real partner early on with Whole Foods because as we approached the Whole Food stores. They said, my goodness, what a great idea. What a great story. What a great idea. What a great product. Of course, we had a lot to learn, Marcos. We were new. <laughs> we had to learn about products and packaging and process and pricing and, and f- promotions. And we had to learn our way through that. But the response was incredible. We would go to trade shows and we would be, the, the, the booths around us felt very lucky indeed, because we would have 600 people visiting our booth. And the booths around us would get the overflow and they'd be like, how in the God's name do you have so many people coming to your booth? And we're like, we're not even sure ourselves, but it's obviously a big need out there. So we had tremendous, incredible response, a lot of support. And I think there was a lot of confusion. I think we, we created a great debate and a lot of confusion around, okay, great. It's a wonderful idea, but now how do you deliver this to the consumer? How do you deliver it in, in such a way that people understand it, that they can use it, that they can enjoy it? How do you get it to them in, a, in an economical way? How do you take advantage of the distribution systems? Because there's, do you belong in, in soda? Do you belong in mixers? Do you belong, in, do you belong in, in alcohol? Do you belong in beer and wine? Like where the heck is this supposed to go? So we created a lot of a conversation around it. And there was a lot of, con- not controversy, but debate, if you will, about how to do this. And I think that's where the hard work began. The hard work began peeling the onion around, we're not just a B to C company, meaning business to consumer. We're a B to B to B to C company, which means you have to, in order to reach the consumer, Marcus, you have to actually take care of each and every constituent along the way, including your importers and your distributors and your retailers and your hospitality partners. We had to to take a step back in order to really solve the problem for the consumer. We had to make sure that each and every stakeholder along the way understood what we were delivering. So it's been a journey for sure, but we're so excited that now you're doing what you're doing and lots of other brands are coming on board. We have a full set in the category to to offer consumers to be a complete solution, depending on the occasions that they might be having. So these are indeed really exciting times in what is currently called the no and low industry, but we're also working with that, you know, with you as well about how do we define this category for the consumer as well, because we're very mindful and we want to be very positive about the change and, and the evolution.
0: And I think you're touching on such an important point of consumers. There's so many consumers that don't drink alcohol for a variety of reasons, but for so long, there hasn't been any innovation within that category. And now it's happening in the past couple years in the US, but consumers are still having to navigate that both in terms of what are these products? What do they taste like? Do they taste like alcoholic products? What's the point is a very common thing. <laughs> um, and then also what you point out, where does it sit in the stores? So how are you educating consumers and when, when you talk about mocktails and your particular product?
1: First of all, we go through all this technical stuff, right? We have to produce, we We have to put it on shelf or we have to get into hospitality and we have to deal with distributors. We get lost in all of the aspects of the business in the sense that you have to realize that this is just about delivering a better experience to consumers. So the first thing we talk about is just experience. We try to talk about, let's put you back into an adult social framework so that you can enjoy yourself just like everyone else and just have fun. So this is about having fun. This is about turning moments into memories. This is about delivering an experience to you and your guests so that you can forget about who's drinking and not drinking. If you're not drinking, no one should really care. They should just deliver you a similar experience. So we talk about elevating that experience away from soft drinks, because that's sort of the second-class citizenship role that you end up playing. Water, which my wife got all the time. And in fact, funny story, if I can take a little detour, we left a, a dinner party one night as I was developing the company. And we get in the car and she said, did you see what happened? And I said, oh yeah, that was that was a little bit awkward. At When we all toasted, there were 10 of us around the table, five couples. When we all toasted, I said, you and the other three, by the way, there were three non-drinkers among the 10 of us. And that kind of confirmed the sort of 40%, 50%, 45% of American adults don't drink at any given moment. So at the toast at dinner, there were five of us with alcohol glasses and there were three of you with water. And that was quite awkward. She said, no, that's not what I was talking about. She said, did you see that you were being doted on because you were having wine and cocktails and the, the host was all about delivering you a great experience. Like they were always asking you, do you want another drink? What other type of drink can I get you? We have beer, we have wine, we have cut, we have just, and she would say, I, I was watching the interaction between the host and the drinkers, but I never once was asked, do you want another glass of water? And she said, I had to literally, and the others of us, we, we literally had to get ourselves up from the party and go to the kitchen and look in the refrigerator ourselves or get ourselves water. And she said, I just felt like we weren't even a part of the party because we weren't even being served in the same way. And I thought, wow, that's really amazing because there's a whole psychological built-in sort of psychographic cultural background to how you treat guests in your home and you unconsciously treat people differently based on what they're drinking or not drinking, it's almost similar to the color of your skin or the way you're dressed, or if you arrive in a Mercedes versus a Pinto, there's all kinds of triggers that go on in people's minds and it's very unconscious, but she noticed it. And from that point on, I made it a commitment to really focus on the psychographics and the psychology of how do we now deliver, it might be sophisticated in how we do it, but for the consumer, it has to be simple, enjoyable, fun, a better experience and a memory. And that's what we talk about with consumers.
0: Thank you for sharing that story. And I think that highlights probably the experience of almost every non-alcoholic drinker for whatever reason out there at some level. And and what you're making me point out is there's been for hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of years around the concept of alcohol and having that equating that with having a good time and uh, that being the default when going out. And then there's that in- entertainment value. But what, what struck me of what you said is also the complexity and the variety of alcohol. So if someone's saying, can I get you another drink? Can I make you another drink? For the person, they try something new. For the host, they get to show off their skills. And that type of uh, variety didn't really exist before in the past couple of years, at least in the US. But I think it ties into something that is a core part of your branding, which is uniquely crafted. And that I think is what's different than a lot of the non-alcoholic brands previously. Could, so can you share why you think about the this crafted element as a core part of mocktails, but also just non-alcoholic beverages that are emerging?
1: Yeah, so it's super important that consumers understand and and appreciate what the industry is doing For the consumer base, there are, sure, are there going to be products that come out there and put sugar water in a bottle and try some slick marketing and try to fool the consumer? There will be for sure. But largely, I think almost unanimously, the people, the founders like me in this business, we are really trying to deliver something special to the consumer that they can really enjoy and really grasp and really separate themselves from the old sort of soft, soft drinks and waters and and let's say iced teas and lemonades that they're used to getting into the the godforsaken go-to was, yeah, I'll have a cranberry seltzer who wants that anymore marcos really in order to deliver that on that experience we noticed there was a, a, a chasm it wasn't just it, it wasn't just a gap it was a, it was the grand canyon between how the alcohol companies use their techniques and their heritage and their the, the way things are sourced and the ingredients are grown and the the way that they take so much care and beautiful just ultimately creating these gorgeous, beautiful products for us to experience. And then you look across the Great Divide over the Grand Canyon and you, you look on the, other, on the other bank and you go, okay, we've got soda, water, iced tea, lemonade, and they're basically squirting sugar water in a bottle and, and giving it to you. And, and you're supposed to accept that as okay. And so what we did is we said, why is it too hard? Even we put it in our story. Is it too much to ask to have somebody come up with a really thoughtful, carefully crafted, carefully made drink that someone can enjoy that doesn't have alcohol in it? Is it really that hard? By the way, it is, because it turns out the alcohol is a preservative that that makes that makes the product not only cheaper to make, but to preserve. We have to work with the consumer to get them to understand that you need to understand that these products are not only carefully crafted and made, but They're made at great expense and and alcohol is actually a very inexpensive product to make, not an expensive product to make. So the the consumer has this idea and the trade has this idea that alcohol products should be priced up here. Non-alcohol products should be priced down here. When the actually, if you're going to produce a carefully crafted product, it's actually the cost of producing is like that. It it actually is more expensive. So we have to drive through the idea that these are premium, they're craft, and they're very special indeed. And so when when we did the research and we wanted to commit to this process, Marcos, we decided that we were going to deliver something that was more like beautiful alcoholic beverage experience. The only difference was there was no alcohol in the glass.
0: So can you share a little bit more about the flavor profile of mocktails and all the drinks that you end up producing?
1: Yeah, definitely. So when we, decided to, when we decided to do cocktails, we looked around the world. Again, we're a very globally minded organization. We didn't just focus only on the US. We said, let's look around the world and let's learn from the, from what's out there and let's understand what some of the most popular flavors are, the most, the most loved and beloved drink combinations. And let's come up with a range. That's a very European word, but let's come up with a set of products that reflect different styles, different flavors, different occasions, different seasons, different glassware, and that might pair with different uh, alcohols, depending on what you're trying to accomplish. And we came up with an initial set of five and we settled on four. Our products are a margarita, which we call a macarita, a cosmopolitan, which we call a macapolitan, a sangria, which we call a sansgria from the French word sans, which means without, and then a, a Moscow mule or a mock scale meal. And the reason we settled on those is because there's four, separate, four different flavors, four different colors, four different glasswares, and each of them pair with food differently, and they also pair with non-alcoholic spirits or spirits differently. So we, had, we felt like we could have a complete range. And the idea was if we had a complete range that we, we felt strongly that when we come to market, we wanted to serve all consumers. We wanted to complete the mission of inclusivity so that it would be very rare that in any individual would try all four and not like one of them. So there's different variation of sour and sweetness and, and yeah. sophistication and pairing. And again, if you're a, let's call it, a, I don't know, a 30 something female and you enjoyed your cosmos, but you're pregnant, you've got your answer. But if you're a 50 something you know, year old guy and you, you, you like the whiskey sour, but you're not drinking anymore, well, we've, we've got an answer for that too. And so it, it, it transcends age, gender, geography, glassware occasions. And so we, had a, we wanted to have a complete set that everybody could find something that they enjoyed. And right now, what's very exciting is our first four flavors, which have been out there for a little while, we're actually starting on our new set of new product development, which is expanding beyond what we're calling sort of our traditional flavors. And we're going into some new, really cool stuff that not only expands the range, but gets into totally brand new territory. So it's very exciting for us right now. And that will further extend that inclusivity beyond the kind of the fruit-based cocktails, if
0: you will. I think one of the things that's always challenging for a non-alcoholic brand that again, sometimes people equate this with value is the kind of bite or burn of alcohol. How do you balance that out uh, with your beverages?
1: Great question. Yeah. So we don't try to claim or kid anyone to say that this is going to be equal with a cocktail. It's not going to be equal in the sense that if you taste them side by side, you're going to go, oh, I noticed there's alcohol in it because guess what? There is. (laughs) So what you're trying to do though, is you're trying to create an equal experience while you're not drinking. So very rarely will you have someone have, let me have a, a, a cosmopolitan with alcohol and then a moment later, sip a Macapolitan without alcohol. What you're trying to do is you're trying to balance them out. You're trying to moderate. Maybe you're one night on, one night off, or maybe you've decided you're going to quit altogether. Or you might even through the night say, I'm going to have a few cocktails, but then you know what? I'm going to slow down because I'm really busy the next day. So I'll have a couple of mocktails on my way out of the party. So we don't want to go into it saying um, it's equal because it's not equal from the standpoint of, his, of a taste side by side. But what we wanted to do um, was create a sophisticated, balanced adult experience. And when you compare that, see, we believe also, Marcos, we're not an alternative to alcohol, really. We are actually an alternative to the alternatives. We wanted to upgrade that experience. So we came at it from the point of view of working with one of the world's most talented uh, mixologists, a woman by the name of Ezra Starr. Anyone listening, look her up. She is An incredibly talented person, but also an incredible human being. She tried our beverages and said, my goodness, what you've accomplished here is absolutely mind-boggling. But what I want to help you do is get some more balance. So some of our, I would call our early versions of our products, Marcos, when we first came out here in the U.S., I'd call them a four-star product. Ezra helped us recreate what we had in a way that was now balanced, more adult. It created some additional acidity with a little bit of sweetness because we all, when we're drinking cocktails, people don't, p- people will claim that they're, they don't like sugar and they'll say that they don't like sugar, but then they'll have three margaritas that have you know, 600 million calories and 800 you know, pounds. Nice. So you got to, you have to offset the lime of the, sa- with the lemon of the sour and the lime sour with some sweetness. But what she created was a really nice, balanced cocktail experience, but without the alcohol. So that's really what we were trying to do. And we feel like we've accomplished that. And and some wonderful news, actually. I'm glad we're talking today because last week we actually won three awards at one of the large spirit competitions. In the no and low category against about 110 products, we took three of the 14 medals that were available. So we were pretty proud of that. Amazing.
0: I I can't wait to hear about it. And the word I keep coming back to is experience. And there's definitely the element of taste a non-alcoholic versus alcoholic. And, but I think that's the wrong way to measure and to think about it.
1: So true. You have the taste element, but taste is part of the experience, but it not is the entire experience because I could take a Lafitte Rothschild and put it in a styrofoam cup and give it to you and not tell you anything about it. And you'd be like, Oh, that's, okay that's nice wine yeah take a little feet Rothschild and you put it in the right glass in the right setting in the right ritual and you swirl that wine you smell that wine you then sip that wine and when you engage your product in the right way it just takes on a new meaning and your whole experience is elevated and I think that's what we're trying to do we're trying to elevate the non-alcoholic experience and in a whole new way because you can take great products and make them lousy and you can take even mediocre products and make them better by surrounding them in the right light. Now, what we've tried to do is say, create a, a world-class liquid and present it as an equal in the cocktail experience. And if you do that, you know what? Maybe you're not going to please everybody, but you're really going really to hit the mark with most consumers.
0: And taking a little bit of a, a different turn, can you share a little bit about your background and your career history and how that really prepared you for creating mocktails?
1: Wow, what a journey! So I, I, I started out. I put myself through college by by getting my real estate license in 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 college. Essentially, to, my wife was on scholarship. I had to pay for my tuition through loans and other things. And we were at a pretty expensive private university back then. So I I got my real estate license while I was still a student. And I was renting apartments, selling condos in Boston. And I I sort of honed my sales skills. And then I got recruited to be in Wall Street. And I went to Wall Street and uh, did very well. It was a struggle for me because I didn't come from that world, but but I really learned it. I, I made it my craft. And I was very blessed to meet some incredible people who took me under their wing and showed me a few things and kicked me in the pants when I needed it. And I developed a specialty around venture capital and private equity services, I learned, well, geez, I learned everything about business. I learned about different industries and I learned about how to create a service. I I learned how to create a product. I learned how to deliver on my promises, et cetera, et cetera. But one of the things that helped me more than anything was I saw through that experience of working with my clients who were venture capital and private equity investors, I saw the literally tens of thousands of companies that they invested in that didn't make it. There were themes that, that I found that made companies either succeed or not succeed. And I thought really hard about what I wanted my future to be. And I thought about, geez, like, do I want to be on wall street for my career? Or do I really want to go build something real? And so it made me really look internally, made me really evaluate what my career path was going to be. And uh, I knew in my heart, I was very much entrepreneurial, which is how I ended up, by the way, on Wall Street in the first place, because you have to be an entrepreneur to be in a role where you don't get paid every month. You go out and you make your living by commissions and making deals happen. It's a very entrepreneurial uh, business. And you, 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 if, you don't, if you don't produce, you don't eat. That's just period, end of story. So you had to hone your skills. You had to be sharp. You had to be the best at your game. And when we decided with my partner to leave on the same day together to start a company we felt very strongly that we wanted to create a culture, not just a product and not just a company, but we wanted to create a culture of a new way of doing things and something that was delivering on consumers and customers' promises and and needs rather than creating something that's good for the company, but the consumer in the end of the day most of the time feels, did I really get the value that I was supposed to get out of this product? So I always trained everybody that worked with me is cost of the product or service is only an issue in the absence of value. Create something of value and a consumer, the customer will always be willing to pay at least as much as the value that you're providing. So provide a little bit more value than what you're charging and deliver on your promises and you'll have a great business. So we established the company with those that sort of ethos of inclusivity and innovation and delivering on your promises and creating something disruptive in the marketplace. And let's go have some fun doing that. So my background prepared me in so many ways, Marcos, but I think I think one of the differentiating factors is we can see into the future a little bit, both by operating in Europe and seeing what's coming to the US, but also by knowing what's ahead for the company's development. We can prepare today for what's coming. A lot of companies build on their revenue and they don't really know where they're going and they need help on that. So We feel very fortunate. Let's put it that way.
0: Uh, I love hearing that. And you are reminding me of something that I continually see in this non-alcoholic beverage space And, and speaking with all the founders. And we've been having lots of fun conversations about how do we grow this overall industry? And the people that have come into the space and started companies all come in with a high level of intentionality with purpose at the center thinking about a company not just as selling a product but really improving people's lives and also i think the thing you pointed out that was really cool was thinking about culture and what's the type of company that you want to build not only to sell a product but treat employees and the type of culture we want internally. And that's been really fun to see. Where do you see, and you have from a unique perspective, especially as you pointed out from operating in Europe, where do you see the non-alcoholic beverage industry heading in the US in the next few years?
1: So thank you for that. Uh, That was a great question before. And I just wanted to follow up on that to, to sum it up. In terms of the culture, it's not just the culture of our company, but I think it's the culture of the early founders that you just mentioned. I think what we're trying to do is we're trying to do well by doing good. We're trying to bring something useful and helpful to a consumer who's actually trying to be healthier, who's trying to moderate, who's trying to get away from chemicals and preservatives and high fructose corn syrup and all the you know nasty stuff that you find in soft drinks. With that, I do think that there is a critical mass now in the US where there wasn't before. The energy here in the US is completely different than it was even a year ago. The No and Low Summit that we sponsored just a couple of months ago, what I would say is the birth of the No and Low industry has now occurred here in the US, whereas before it was a collection of a few products now you have a true no and low industry. And I think the US is now going to start grasping the category because it's a category first mentality. And we as brands have all are starting to bind together and say, move the industry in order to move the trade so that we can reach the consumer, we have to work together. So I think what you're gonna see over the next year is you're gonna see um, brands working together. I think you're gonna see brands um, trying to communicate similar messaging. We have made great friends with other brand founders and we've made good friendship with you, Marcos, as well. I think you're gonna see the trade side of of things develop rapidly over the next year. And then I think honestly, what you're gonna find in maybe, I don't know, 2022, 2023, this category is gonna surprise a lot of people because it's gonna feel like it came out of nowhere, but it took years of development And we've all been working in obscurity behind the scenes for years of putting foundations in place, but all of a sudden you're gonna see, I think, an overnight success after years of, of hard work.
0: In wrapping up, where do you see Mocktails in the next few years? How do you guys see yourselves growing and expanding? So we view ourselves as a global
1: product. We're made in the UK and imported into the US, even though we're original founders are here in the US. We actually searched the globe for the absolute best ingredients, the absolute best production process, the absolute best product that we could provide because it wasn't about us. It wasn't about our, even our company, and it wasn't even about our employees because we felt like if we could deliver the promise to the consumer, then we as a company and we as the employees and we as a solution, we can, will succeed. And so we, we had to put, we're absolutely customer obsessed. And to be customer obsessed, the old saying is you have to think globally, but act locally. So we started to think globally. And so I think what we'll hopefully find is that um, we're growing as the consumer, as the global consumer psychographic mindset has moved from consumerism to mindfulness. In all categories, not just drinking, but in, you know, pollution and in clean water and environment and the vegan and and plant-based movement. And there's so many other corollaries as to how the the global psychographic mindful movement has created opportunities in lots of different verticals. But I think what we'll see in the drinks industry is that this business will become, I've been told and I agree that the non-alcoholic adult drink space, whatever you want to call it, the mindful drinking set, is probably among the fastest growing FMCG categories that the U.S. and other countries will experience over the next 10 years. We'll be a part of that and hopefully we'll be one of the leaders in that. And I just think that when we look back 10 years from now, Marcos, together with you, um, because you're a part of this industry as well, we're going to look back and go, wow we actually built that. We actually did that. So I I see us growing in the US, but I also see us growing in other markets around the world and becoming a a global brand. And and hopefully you'll see if you travel to the UK or if you travel to the Gulf or you travel to maybe Asia, you'll actually see our products in other markets as well.
0: Thank you so much, Bill, for taking the time to share your amazing story, all the hard work, not only in building mocktails, but also building key infrastructure to help grow the non-alcoholic beverage movement. Thank you so much, Marcos. It's been a pleasure. Thanks so much for joining us today. I hope you were inspired by Bill's story, all the insights he gave into the non-alcoholic beverage industry, and I hope you get a chance to try his delicious mocktails. If you're subscribed to the show, thanks for being part of the For All Drinks community. I'd be super grateful if you can take a moment to leave me a rating, if you enjoyed this episode and the podcast. If you're not a subscriber yet, be sure to subscribe to this and all the other episodes of the podcast to start discovering more delicious non-alcoholic drinks. Lastly, visit foralldrinks.com for show notes to this episode and sign up for our newsletter to get the latest non-alcoholic beverage news, special giveaways, discounts, and more. Here's to drinking healthy, inclusively, and different. See you all next week.